Hey there, and welcome back to Nature Boost. I'm Jill Pritchard with the Missouri Department of Conservation. The winter season and those chilly temperatures are behind us, and I thought it would be great to ring in the spring season by giving back to nature and planting native plants. This is actually a topic we've gotten some requests on, and I myself have made it my mission to plant natives in my yard this year. But like some others, I have no idea where to start. So I enlisted the help of two plant experts. Alex Daniel and Sydney Ross are native landscape specialists who work out of Kansas City. If you've ever visited the Anita B. Gorman Discovery Center downtown, they're the ones responsible for maintaining all of those lovely native plant landscapes throughout the grounds. They also host monthly webinars on a variety of topics related to native gardening. So I knew they were the ladies I needed to speak to. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. No problem. Thank you for being here. So we've touched on this in the podcast before about native plants, but why are native plants so beneficial? Alex, I'm going to start with you. If you think about it, our, our our whole ecosystem is based in levels, right? And the basis level, the smallest things you can think of, the tiniest organisms up to the biggest predators that we have all rely on this food chain, basically. And what the native plants do is they provide food for so many of these species. They've co-evolved with our insects, our birds, all of it has evolved together over thousands and thousands of years. So these plants and these relationships are vital to to, uh, having a healthy ecosystem and providing habitat, food, everything for our native insects, birds, animals, and that kind of thing. And people are part of that, that food chain also. And not only are these native plants beneficial, but they're also beautiful. And they also um, are more sustainable practices in your garden. They require less water, less resources. We often say do not fertilize your native plants. Do not, uh, obviously you wouldn't want to use pesticides because then you'd be uh, damaging all the native insects that rely on these plants. Overall, they're just kind of the better option for your garden. And I think that's that's just kind of the, one of the cool things about native plants. Native plants are kind of like nature's superheroes. They provide great benefits for wildlife and people. But when researching plants for your landscape, you may come across other terms such as non-native, aggressive natives, or invasive. Sydney broke down what these terms mean and why it's important to know their definitions. Non-native plants are plants that did not originally exist in our ecoregions here in North America. And that's not to say that all non-native plants are bad. Some are definitely worse than others, like our non-native invasive species. These would be, in in our area, bush honeysuckle, winter creeper, Bradford pears, um, so many others. Um, And those non-native invasive species cause damage uh, to the environment and to our economy. They do things like choke out other vegetation. They release chemicals that um, deter our native plants from growing. And most of the time, they don't even offer um, themselves as a food resource for our insects and wildlife. So they're just pretty much bad, the non-native invasives. Now, we have non-natives like hostas or non-native irises, things like that. They're not invasive per se, and but they don't necessarily provide the same benefits as our native plants do. Like mm-hmm. Alex had said, our native plants provide food and shelter and all these great things, whereas 
non-natives, whether they're invasive or not. They just don't offer those kinds of things for us. Yeah, I think that one of the things that's fascinating to think about, and this is actually something new that just came out. Can I talk about the goldenrod thing that's happening? Okay, so this is fascinating. So one of our major, I'm just going to say, we're going to say bush honeysuckle a lot in this episode because it is the scariest non-native invasive that we have here in Kansas City and in the Midwest. And that plant is from Asia. Their um, climate is similar to ours. And uh, so that's why it does so well here. But the problem is that we don't have any biological controls for non-native honeysuckle. So we don't have the insects that they have. We don't have the birds that they have. We don't have anything eating this plant and keeping it under control. In its native region, it would be having the right kinds of pressure, biological pressures, And so it's not an issue. So a species that we have here, huge campaign by the government to get rid of it. You can get fined for having it. And that is Canada goldenrod, Solidago canadensis, which is a very common weedy species that we have here at the Discovery Center, all over Missouri, all over the Midwest. It's It's a really aggressive native plant, but we just call those aggressive, not invasive um, you can only be an invasive plant if you're non-native. That's the terminology for I think we try to cover that in the beginnings of these just so people can know that there are things such as aggressive natives that we don't necessarily recommend for the garden, like Canada goldenrod. Um, but we're really hoping, like, that, that gave us hope because... We're really hoping that something similar like that can happen with honeysuckle. The crazy thing about these uh, non-native invasive plants is they were sold originally as ornamental landscape plants or as um, uh, for like, uh, what was it, like restoration, like habitat for yes, quail. Yeah. Right. And so it's like we were <laughs> we were encouraged to buy these plants and still are in yeah. some cases. Like winter creeper is Bradford still sold. Pear. Bradford pear is still yeah. sold. Oh, it's hard. We just, yeah, we're going back to this like educational approach and really just kind of trying to inspire the public to know, okay, there are better and more beautiful plants out there that you can add to your landscape to have a really enriching green space. Um, The Bradford pears, I have a personal story about them that I'm very ashamed to admit my parents planted Bradford pears and I'm sure I'm not the only family. (laughs) I'm just going to get it off my chest. I'm just going to. It's okay. It's okay. You can recover. You can get fatter. But I can't. I can't. I'm learning. It's all about the education. And um, as a child, I remember just loving those trees because in the spring they have those beautiful blooms. But then it wasn't until I got older that I realized how truly terrible they are. They spread into thickets. I mean, they just take over natural areas. They also smell horrible. Yeah, I just say. I know. See, that is the thing with that. I was going to ask you, Jill, do you remember the smell from a child? I do. I do. So that, the beauty of the flowers (laughs) was more than the smell for you. Okay, got it. Um, Isn't that funny? Many people ask, where have the birds gone? I used to see butterflies, but I never see them anymore. What happened? Well, the birds and butterflies are still around, but the culprit may be what's planted in your neighborhood or not planted. We have created food deserts by having barren, like, turf grass lawns or non-native or non-native invasive trees. Like, they don't have 
the, the they're not offering food. They might be offering habitat and shelter to a point, but they're just, yeah, that's why you're not seeing them as much. They're sterile. It's sterilized. And every day, uh, prairies are getting plowed up. Uh, forests are getting torn down to build these subdivisions mm -hmm. that are then just going to replace them with all non-native species and turf grass. And so what do the birds have to eat? You can't. I have a good story where this this uh, older gentleman came by and walked and he saw some uh, the some yellow bird. He said, what are those yellow birds I'm seeing everywhere? The yellow and black birds. And I, and I said, oh, those are the goldfinches. Aren't they so beautiful? And he was like, I've lived in Kansas City my whole life and I've never seen any goldfinches. And I was like, well, you need a few things. You need some cauliflower, you need less turf grass. They, they have nothing to eat in your yard that's like, you know, a Japanese maple and some mm -hmm. the Kentucky blue or whatever. So like, there's nothing, they're gonna, they're going for echinacea, they're going for goldenrod, they're going for ironweed, they're going for all these plants that um, provide seed sources for them. They can't eat grass, so they won't be there. I'm not gonna lie to you both. <laughs> I feel like we're already good friends, so I feel like I need to be honest with you. <laughs> okay, so, um, I might have been a little selfish with this topic as well because I am very lucky to have a big backyard and I want to plant natives in my backyard. It's very shady. I have two like huge oak trees. The front of my yard gets blasted by morning sun, um, but the back of my yard is very shady. So I would love to plant natives, but I have a question for you both. So before you start adding natives to your area, do you recommend getting rid of non-natives first? Or do, you, do those, do non-natives and native plants compete with each other at all or what can you speak to that? Okay, so it, it really depends on the type of plants you have already in your yard. Um, but sometimes they can, non-native and native plants can exist as long as the non-natives are not invasive. But there are a few things that I would do to get started when you're thinking about adding plants to your garden. One, it's understanding the types of conditions you have, which you just said you have full shade in your backyard. You get part shade, which would be morning sun in your front yard. So that's great. Those are already, uh, that's one thing you really need to know is what kind of sunlight are you getting and really take note of what time of day the sun is hitting those spaces like you mentioned also how many hours is your space getting this certain type of sunlight and then take note of the kind of soil you have is it clay most people in kansas city have clay soil in their yards because um, when these houses were built they dug up all that rich topsoil and uh, it was they got down to the bottom it's just compacted clay soil which then when they refill um, after the foundation that's what's left so a lot of our yards here in kansas city have clay soil so making sure you have plants that can handle clay soil is important and then also looking for wet spots in your yard. This is a great time of year to see where you're having standing water pool up, especially with, with spring coming, keep an eye out for that. Analyzing your space in this way will really help inform the types of plants you can have. And then another thing I like to do, once you kind of have a sense of what your space is like, go out to your natural areas and look at these native plant communities. If you have full sun, if you get lots of hot, direct sun for six to eight hours, go out to your local prairie and see what's growing out there, see what, what plants you like. Um, or in your case, if you since you have shade in your backyard, go to your uh, woodlands, go to and see in the springtime um, all the spring ephemerals coming up and all those different types of plants. And use that as a way to guide and inform your plant choices in your yard. I love that idea of finding inspiration out in nature. It's also a great excuse to go out on a springtime hike. Alex and Sydney also recommended 
recommended checking out native plant gardens at your nearest MDC Nature Center or finding inspiration at nearby conservation areas. We're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we'll continue our step-by-step guide on planting native, as well as why you don't want to be a plopper. (laughs) Stay tuned. There once was a girl named Goldilocks who wanted to plant a tree in her yard, but she didn't know what to do. This tree's too tall. Because some trees work better in some places than others. This tree's too wide. Before you plant, decide what benefits you want from your tree, then select the kind best suited to those needs. This tree's just right. Choosing the right place is simply a matter of planning, too. Learn more at MissouriConservation.org. Search keywords, right tree. Choosing the right tree for the right place doesn't have to be a bear. And welcome back to Nature Boost, where we're celebrating the spring season by learning how to give back to nature and plant native plants. Joining me on this episode are native landscape specialists out of the Kansas City region, Sydney Ross and Alex Daniel. Both Sydney and Alex agree that when planning your garden, it's best to actually plant it rather than heading out and buying plants that you think just look good. The common misconception about native plants is that they will always look super wild. That's really just about doing the right research and having intention when you plan your garden. You know, there are a few different schools of thought. You could be a plopper. Like, I've definitely been there. I go to, like I just said Are you earlier, looking at me? I'm looking Why aren't at you, you looking at me? I'm looking at you. <laughs> I'm a plopper. I loves to plop plants. What's, oh, wait, wait, what's plopping okay, mean? I, I, I switched it to, I, I now plop with purpose. <laughs> that, but. <laughs> you stole that term from me? No. no. Okay. So, what plopping is, is when you go to the garden store and you, you fall in love with this plant. We all do it. We You, you, you walk in, you have, you kind of have a plan, but then you see this thing that's like hey I want to come home with you and you're like great I now I don't know where to put you in my garden and then it becomes kind of chaotic because if you're just bringing home random plants and sticking them wherever it's it, you don't have really a plan in mind and that shows it can and, get wild. and that's okay if it's like your backyard and it's kind of a more private area but if you're trying to plant for your front yard where the whole neighborhood maybe you have a homeowners association maybe you live in a busy neighborhood maybe you have angry neighbors maybe. that really love their grass <laughs> Right. And their Japanese so maples. Then that's where things can go downhill. And that's where having a plan is, uh, I think, more important than just being a quote-unquote plopper. I could uh, totally see myself being a plopper. Yeah. It's easy to do. I, I mean, I do it. I still will go to the garden center and see a random plant and be like, can we bring it back to work with us? <laughs> and we sometimes do. But, um, yeah, I think really doing your research and having a general plan is the best way to set yourself up for success when it comes to adding native plants to your garden. But also know if um, if you put a plant in an area and it doesn't thrive, you can always dig it up and move it to a better spot. So really it's about observing your space, observing how these plants are working in your space, see if they're happy or not and move them around. If you have a plant that's really reaching and is like really leggy and, and looks like it's flopping over, it may not be in the right spot. So you can kind of move it around and see what works over time. Alex also noted that it's best to plan your garden by including plants that can support each other and mapping out where each should be located. You want to have a matrix of of plants. You want to have a community of plants that can support each other too. It's not a good idea to have really tall 
tall grass prairie plants on the edge of a bed where you know it's going to that we struggle with that all the time i mean it's happened here we've done it we've fixed how we garden the borders especially of of some of our beds by putting ground cover species short in plants. front yeah short plants in, in front fr which yeah seems simple enough right <laughs> but these tall prairie species are um so gorgeous and they usually would normally stand up but if sometimes if they're planted as a monoculture where it's just one species um, up top they can't always support themselves but also underground they're all competing for the same root space there and what's what's good to have with a mix of native plants is we're finding out that the root morphology so the the way the roots interact under the soil is just as important as the support up top because the root structure if it's not strong then it's going to cause more flopping mm -hmm. and leaning but flopping it floppers are it's something we <laughs> deal with all term. the time um it's a technical term but but another misconception too is that native plant gardens are no maintenance and that's just simply not true even if you even if you designed the best most perfect functioning mm -hmm. garden which sydney did she did and it, it's out there right now <laughs> oh, and we'll show you, you today jill oh, but it. it's still gonna need maintenance yeah. like hardcore maintenance for like the next Two years it's going to need weeded. Forever. Like, there's no such yeah. thing as a no-maintenance garden. No. Pure and simple. Like, because we are people and we like to manage things and have a certain vision for things, it's always going to require a level of maintenance. But with native plants and with some planning, you can set yourself up for success to have a lower ma maintenance required garden. One other thing I want to mention, just like, like another basic gardening tip. If you're wanting to add native plants to your garden, there's a few things you can do besides the the research and the planning but um when, when you do go to plan your garden you want to put your taller species towards the back if it's if it's a garden you're viewing from one angle let's say you're jill you're looking out your back door and there's maybe you have a fence line and you're gonna I do. okay well, right, what do you know what, what a surprise <laughs> uh, so so you want your taller plants to be in the back towards the fence and as it gets um closer to you like if you're walking towards it shorter in the front then you have your kind of middle ground species in the middle and your taller plants in the back this is a method that i took from claudia west she has a scrape book called planting in a post wild world it talks about using native plants and having a less rigid landscape style and a more free natural style but start with your structural plants like your shrubs or your woody plants and, and big oak, trees, big oak trees. trees yeah so knowing like those plants that you have either already existing in your yard or ones that you want to add maybe and that will really inform the the sunlight requirement right so since you have mature oaks you have shade and then from there you can add your seasonal interest which would be your forbs or your flowers like your herbaceous plants like your cone flowers your well I guess not in your shady location you could have uh, woodland pink roots um, maybe some um, lots of spring ephemerals spring ephemerals woodland pink roots um, woodland asters woodland goldenrods things like that and then you get to your ground covers the shortest species those are the the, the fill-in species like Roundleaf groundsel, wild ginger, things like that, that fill in the gaps and create a green mulch. That way it's retaining moisture, it's suppressing weeds. It's like that final piece to create that native plant community that helps support each other. I love that. That's a really great tip. Can I tell you a really embarrassing story? Please. Always. <laughs> yes. You love embarrassing so this stories. This is so funny. Okay, so a few years ago, I bought a bee house 
which they say you you know they're easy enough to make like i probably could have made a better one this one wasn't the best uh but i was so excited i was like oh we have all these bees around yes i hung it up like there, there was a perfect spot for it on my fence I didn't have any bees, you know why? Because I didn't have any dang plants. <laughs> and it wasn't until like two months later, I'm like, you idiot. You know what? Here, here's a way to get bees at your house, obviously with native plants, but to have a bee house with a native plant. Like it's an all in one, right? Purple cone flower. It, yes. it it's, it's got the starter. It is. It's, the, it's starter. the starter the starter pack plant of choice for native gardening. If you don't have it, get it. Uh, it's so easy to grow, but that's the one you'll have. I at an old house. I planted comb. There were no native plants in the yard at all. I planted native coneflower, echinacea purpurea, the purple coneflower, in the um, mostly shade front bed. And within one year, we had goldfinches visiting. Yeah, goldfinches. It only takes a little bit of time. It does. It's they so will come quick. to it. It's yes. true. And it's funny because I did the very first plant I planted at my house was also purple coneflower. Everybody's and first. And in that year, and I think I actually got that plant from the Discovery Center before. <gasps> then that I means here. I grew that plant. You grew that plant oh. for me. <laughs> and I will never forget the very first time I saw, uh, is it an agapostamen? Yeah. Uh, a green metallic sweat bee. Oh. And it blew my mind. It is the most beautiful uh, uh, little native solitary bee. It's bright green, iridescent. It's stunning. And I saw it on that purple cone flower, and I was immediately hooked. Yes. So that's the best way to uh, see nature in your own backyard and have these beautiful flowers. It's a win, 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 win yes. across the board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And usually if you're gardening with native plants, your goal is going to be to attract some sort of wildlife, right? So if you want pollinators and who doesn't, try and have something in bloom for the longest amount of time. So we covered this <laughs> instantly. If you have a sun garden, you put rose verbena in it because you're going to get blooms from March to December. It's insane. And you'll have visitors uh, then. So then you want to think, you want to break it down into three growing seasons. So you want to make sure you have a spring bloom. You want to make sure you have a summer bloom. You make, make sure you have a fall bloom. Don't forget about that winter interest though, y'all. The winter interest is good, but it doesn't serves the pollinators it that does I, for overwintering <laughs> yes, pollinator it's true, it's true. <laughs> leave all this up after the pollinators have all gone away can you see we are total nerds and love native uh, plants because we do yeah i think we love them I'm pretty sure we and love we're them. best friends so it also helps <laughs> it does okay so then uh, if you have something like yeah that's that's typically what we would do so especially for designing a garden for some like for an area that you're gonna um see all the time that's something we like to think about is this does where are you standing? Where's the public front face of the gardens here? Mm -hmm. Or if we're helping someone at their house design a garden, like what are you looking at when you're standing at the kitchen? Yes. Make sure you get those bird friendly plants mm -hmm. right there by the window because right you want to make sure you've got a nice little Because winter time, it, uh, bird watching is the best winter sport in my opinion. Sure I don't is. know why it's not in the Olympics, but it should be. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> That's Ooh. what I want. That's what I'm I don't know. I want to watch out. Watch out, Sean White. We yeah. got a sport for you, baby. Yeah, Bird watching. Another thing to consider in your landscape is the size and spacing of the plants. Do not let their initial size deceive you. You really need to think about what they'll look like once they grow and reach maturity. So factor that in when you're spacing them out. Additionally, have 
patience, because a lot of important work is happening underneath the Earth's surface. Remember sleep, creep, and leap. For native plants, typically in the first year they sleep, so they're working on their root structures, the underground part, and they're not going to do much production up top. This is for a majority of the species, not all of them. But And then the second year they creep, which means they put out more like base foliage in some cases or just get a little bit bigger, and usually they will bloom. And then the third year they leap, so they will typically always bloom in the third year consistently and be more of their mature size. So it takes three years for a native plant garden to fully look like, and I think longer too, but three years max before you start judging (laughs) anything. Right. Because it, it takes time for those. And that's how perennial plants work too, is if you're just planting them once, they want to build up this root structure and be able to live for years and years and years. So it makes sense that they don't. They um, take their time and it's a yeah. it's a long-term investment, but it's worth the investment. And you'll see some interesting things the first year. I mean, and you can look for plants. Like we, we've mentioned purple coneflower a lot, but that is a really great foundational native plant that gives you quick blooms. You could also consider, um, we, we encourage people to plant in the spring and in the fall. So this spring you could plant um, some spring blooming plants, but it might be better to maybe add some of the fall blooming plants in the spring. That way they get a head start and then they can get their, their roots established and then they might have some flowers in the fall and vice versa. This fall, you could plant some things that will bloom in the spring. That way, kind of gets a head start that's, on that whole thing. Yeah, that's really great to, to point out because that yeah. is how it's it's it doesn't feel as satisfying to plant like that, but it definitely yeah. makes a big difference if you think about your fall blooms mm-hmm. for your spring planting. So you've done your research, you know what type of sun you get, what type of soil you have, you know which plants will work in your yard and where to put them. But where do you buy native plants? Alex and Sydney both recommend checking out your local native plant nurseries or vendors, of which there are many scattered throughout the state. However, you can buy natives from the big box stores, but when doing so, be sure to check that what you're buying is a true native. A lot of native plants have what we call cultivars, which are cultivated versions of native, true native species. So for instance, coneflower. If you're going to look for a coneflower to buy at a big box store nursery, a lot of the coneflowers they're gonna have there are going to be something like echinacea, prairie sunset, in quotes. Or it's gonna be like echinacea, uh, purpurea, and then an X, a small X. And then another name, like some man's name probably is what (laughs) it'll typically be like the name of whoever came up with that cultivar. And the problem with cultivars, though they may be beautiful and they might attract pollinators, they might attract birds, is that they're not, the colors that they're, they're morphing them into, the shapes they're morphing them into, sometimes they're made to be, you know, like ombre like we've seen the craziest colors it looks like weird hybrids or some hybrids genetically modified yeah they're genetically modified and the problem with that is that these though the in the colors and forms that they are at that point they're no longer recognizable in the same ways to our insects and our birds the like for instance the way a bee sees is much different than how we see Colors are much, much different. They can see a lot more colors than we can and they translate differently. So when they're looking at that coneflower that's bred to be like 
ombre pink to yellow it looks like nothing it doesn't look like a food source to them Mm -hmm. and when you breed for certain type for certain things you don't ever know there's not research out there to know if the um if the food value is the same for the of the pollen and the Mm -hmm. nectar Um, a lot of these species are sterile which means they don't have any pollen and they have lower nectar levels so if you're going to plant native, just go all the way. Don't plant cultivars. You could have a few mm-hmm. if you want, but if you plant mostly cultivars, it's not really planting for native. Right. That's sneaky. It's, it's very sneaky. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I don't think it was obviously a malicious intent from the no. people who genetically modified these plants to have these certain qual- like visual qualities, but it does have that effect. You know, all these native plants have Latin names, and you don't have to know how to pronounce it. <laughs> I <No>. know <laughs> I certainly don't all the time, but it's good to get familiar with it. Have have a list, whether it's on your phone or piece of paper, or whatever, and know to look for those specific Latin names when you're looking at the tags of your plants. How I like to think about it, or how we like to think about it, is kind of the Doug Talmy uh, school of homegrown national park. So like. Every yard that has some native plant species that are cultivated helps to connect these other spaces. So like we have a native garden here. There's a big native garden at Loose Park. We have a friend who has a prairie restoration that's right up the hill here. We have a couple of friends who have massive native plant gardens that live just north of us here. And if you think about that, we have a, a, a one remnant prairie left in Kansas City, Jerry Smith Park. And down there, if you think about the pollinators, all the insects, the birds that are traveling through the city, each of these little spots of safe haven, of food resources, of nectar resources, pollen, um, bugs for the birds, all of those connected together can help to make these little highways and channels Mm -hmm. that can help animals survive in the city or make it through the city to the other side. Yeah, amongst the whole... Yeah, among like this this whole food desert, which would be all these lawns that are turf grass that use pesticides, and every, herbicides, and everything. Every managed, every unmanaged woodland area in Kansas, in urban Kansas City is completely overrun with honeysuckle and therefore basically unusable by right. a lot of farms. Yeah, so farms. since most of these uh, areas, whether it's natural, public, or residential spaces, are typically non-native or non-native invasive, by having your own native plant garden, you are creating these oases. You're creating these havens for wildlife. That we eventually hope to have turned into more of freeways of, right. of what does Griff call it, um... wildlife corridor corridors yeah Yeah, like these mini corridors that go through the city that help and here at the discovery center this used to be um, a neighborhood before it was a trolley station before we've started all the way over except for some of the trees that were original when we opened in we opened 20 2002 i think yeah 2002 and um since then by planting all these native plants we have attracted just an insane amount of wildlife that you don't normally see even yeah. in the areas right around us. Yeah. And we'll, minks. We have minks. tearing up. Oh, I know. Oh, well, so get beautiful. ready to turn on the waterworks, Jill, because oh, what I'm about to say is... Oh, God. We love, we love and appreciate <laughs> your passion. We're the Okay, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, the number one way to support the environment and combat climate change is to plant native. 
it is something that I know it feels really overwhelming with how scary things are in the world. We cannot fix. <laughs> we oil. can't. We, we can't. can't fix. There are so many things beyond us. But as an individual, this is something you can do, and it's so empowering, and it's so important. And it has so much value. So please go home and plant native plants because you are helping. You're helping the earth. Yeah. <laughs> You're helping earth. <laughs> Mother Earth. Oh my gosh. Mother Mother earth. Yes. Oh. Yes. I, it's. I, it's such a. In all seriousness, no, like it's just it's such a beautiful thing both of you are doing, you know, to help educate people. And I'm sure that you've made contact with people who really didn't even know, and you know, hopefully are planning natives now and realize the benefits and how really important it is yeah. to to plant these these plants. Yeah, I know it can be so scary, but coming from a place of education and coming from the angle of um, joy and excitement and passion, enthusiasm and curiosity. We can all do this. We can all make a difference and it's, it's going to be okay. We got this. I really hope this episode has inspired you to give back to nature and plant natives for wildlife. I have soaked up so much valuable information and I look forward to creating a wildlife oasis of my own this season. A huge thanks to my new pals, Alex Daniel and Sydney Ross. Be sure to check out their Native Plants at Noon monthly programs they put on with Deep Roots Kansas City. You can tune into their presentations and watch previous recorded programs at deeproots.org. And be sure to let us know if you have ideas on future Nature Boost episodes. Check us out online at missouriconservation.org forward slash Nature Boost to send us a message. I'm Jill Pritchard with the Missouri Department of Conservation, urging you to get your daily dose of the outdoors. I have a favor to ask you both. Okay, so do you both know what ASMR is? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, I love it. Can I just like record a little like ASMR of you just saying like the Latin names? Like, oh, go, yes. like just go back yes. and forth. Yes. Sporobolus heterolepsis. Baptisia australis. Hamamelis vernalis. Liatris scariosa. Echinacea paradoxa. <laughs> Wait, I got one, I got okay, one. Okay. Bone thugs and harmoniums. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>